The following presentation is from the 41st Annual Addiction Treatment Leadership Conference presented by the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers held in Washington, D.C., May 5th through the 7th, 2019. The opening night session is titled, The State of Our Profession, Our Call to Establish Centralized Treatment by Marvin Ventrell, NAATP Executive Director, plus four prestigious annual award presentations. Opening night was presented by Ashley Treatment Center, Karen Treatment Center, and the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation, with additional underwriting provided by NSM Insurance Group. Here is Marvin Ventrell. With our initiatives and your support, um, we've made significant improvements. A lot of things have happened. What I'd like to suggest is that we have fought a really big battle and won it, but there's another big battle to fight, and I couldn't help it. <laughs> um, I was going to do a whole thing about defending Westeros and Arya and the Night King and how that's the same, and then I'd have to name names about people who would then sue me for saying these things, and I, and I don't have any Valyrian steel, so I can't fight back. Anyway, um, there's your logo for the night. So what have we done? It has been a year of focus on, on, uh, on identifying the problem and um, working on accountability. We've done a lot of work. Thank you, Arthur, for, for, for talking about the, the work that we've all done together. The NAATP Ethics Code in three years has gone from the Code of Ethics, a groundbreaking piece of work, to Ethics Code 2.0 to Ethics Code 2.5. Why did we have to get all the way to 2.5? Because it's whack-a-mole with these guys, right? Every time you knock one down, another one pops up in another place. And Well, you didn't say we couldn't do that, right? You know, I don't have to tell Art that La Hacienda can't do that. As a values-based provider, he would never do that. But that's how it works. And so we've continued to perfect our ethics code. And we're at 2.5, and it's very comprehensive. It probably won't be the last, but it's made a huge impact, not just on our association, because you're all bound by it, and I can tell the world that you're bound by it, but also because um, it's necessary in order for us to clean our own house. And so what we've done in addition to that is an ethics code enforcement process, right? There is a complaint portal online. Every week we get them. Every week we analyze them. It's very complicated. Sometimes we have a violation that causes us to remove a member. Sometimes we have a violation that causes us to say, can you stop that? <laughs> and they do. Because, right, the goal is to keep everybody in the net doing good values-based work, not to kick them out. Bless you. Um, and sometimes it's not a violation. And it's a fair due process-based process because we don't want to pick on the good guys. I'm sorry we have to put any of you through this. I'm sorry that you have to wait two weeks for us to process this because of what somebody else has done. But that's the price we have to pay, and we're doing it. We did a huge house cleaning. We gave away $100,000 in 70 members. Membership associations don't usually give away members and money, right? Executive directors are judged on how well they increase membership. So I still got this job, but they know it's for the right reasons, right? Um, and so we now have stricter membership criteria. And who saw the congressional hearings in October? Um, you know, that was a big deal. I'm looking at Mark Mishik. Mark and I had the privilege of testifying before the House Investigations and Oversight Committee on this stuff. What? Right? We got the attention of Congress and testified before the House Oversight and Investigations Committee, and they began to act as a result of it. And there were other folks, not like Mark Mishik, 
uh, who are on that panel. <laughs> right? So um, here's an editorial. You know, our recovery stories are so important. Our recovery stories are sacred. My recovery, uh, I don't get up and say, hey, I'm in recovery, right? But I'm in recovery, right? My, my re uh, I, um, I didn't start with it. Um, but my, my recovery story is sacred to me, right? It's my life and death story. It's our life and death story, right? But it is not what qualifies me as an ethical, values-based human being, right? Um, it informs my life. It informs my work. It informs much of our work. But it doesn't account for me being a good guy or a bad guy. And I got to tell you, I'm getting tired of the bad guys telling their damn recovery stories. I think we need to treat our recovery better than that. Right, and and so uh, we're, we've become a professional field. Right, we have professional skills, and that needs to be our focus. So the other thing that's happened is law enforcement. Right, the FBI has made arrests all over the country, South Florida. You know, we always pick on South Florida. There's amazing, wonderful treatment providers, and we love you in South Florida. I'm sorry that you had to, the good guys had to go through all this, but there were a lot of bad guys. Stay with us. We honor the good. Uh, 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 and are there Florida treatment providers in this room who want to stand up <laughs> and, and be applauded? I'm serious. Stand up. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that you probably feel picked on. Um, it's, it's not you. It's them. Um, you know, the uh, uh, other piece that's massive that happened is our, is our own self-regulation. Frankly, if we had self-regulated better and sooner, we might have avoided some of this difficulty, but we didn't. But now we have, right? We've engaged in some very significant self-regulatory activities, not the least of which is our work with Google, which LegitScript has become part of. Right? We met, I, I told a story about going to Google and being you know, honored to go on their campus. Um, in magical land. Um, it's easier to get into the White House than, on, than a, a meeting with Google, but we did get meetings with Google and we have a relationship and that situation is improving and um, it's improving a lot. Well, we're going to talk more in this week, uh, in this weekend, about, about what that looks like, but we've done a lot. And the result has been amazing. I'll get it. Um, <laughs> The result has been amazing. See that number? That's an NAATP record number. We threw people out, um, and we grew significantly. This is a representation of our membership. Um, as, uh, within six months of removals, we not only made up for those removals, but we significantly increased our number to historic numbers. The phone started ringing off the hook when we were testifying in Congress, Mark. The staff could not, was, was watching the, the hearing, and the phone started ringing, I want to be part of this. That's a true story. That's amazing. So this is us, right? I want to say a few words about what that us looks like, and I'll say a few words in the morning. But that chart represents our 900-plus facilities. The little dots are individual sole proprietorships, individual treatment programs, 
right? The big dots are based on the number of facilities that they have. This is a very interesting graph because it represents who we are, but it also represents what has happened and is, and is parallel to what has happened in the field. Not too many years ago, you know what that chart would have looked like? A whole bunch of little black dots, right? Almost all little black dots. In, in recent years, the larger companies um, uh, are becoming more prominent. Uh, and uh, what we saw in, this, in an interim stage was lots of little dots with a couple of big ones. And now it's morphing into this. Now it's morphing into this, these various sizes. And that's what's happening in the industry. We are in a period of tremendous flux. If we do it right, it's going to be the benefit of the consumer. Um, and this is where we're headed, and this is what we're doing, and this is representative of our association, and I, and I believe if you look at the market, the field at large. So I want to make a few observations of the field at large. I think the title of, of my <laughs> slide at the beginning said something about observations of the, of the profession generally. Um, so what's going on? When we take our temperature, what is it? I don't think it's a palpable sense of unease like it was. Um, I think it's hard work and diligence and progress that we're seeing. Um, but here's what we see. We see an addiction crisis and overdose deaths worth worsening. The overdose deaths are the worst they've ever been. Um, opioids are not the primary cause of addiction crisis, but they are so lethal. I always like to point out, and we always like to point out, the biggest killer is still, say it, alcohol, alcohol right? Um, we, uh, but... Uh, and, and actually, in many respects, statistically, opioids are pretty far down on the chain, and we're starting to see changes. We're starting to see methamphetamine, methamphetamine come back at a bigger level. Um, but look, opiate deaths are, are still horrible, and it's a significant crisis, and we have, to, we have to pay attention to that. And our consumer base confidence is shaken. I think some of the payer confidence is shaken. I think there are also some payers out there who might try to rely on that to not uh, enforce parity, and we got to enforce parity. Parity is not realized. It has to happen. Uh, we can't provide the care we need to provide until that becomes a reality. Um, but the confidence is shaken. And so we are a field in transition in terms of marketing practices, payer models, uh, our movement to measurement-based practice, the regulatory environment, generally speaking. Treatment provider startups, mergers, and acquisitions, much of which is represented by that bubble chart. Um, and our clinical models and the role of medication are still very much in flux. We're still trying to figure this out, right? That's, that's a, so we, th that's a challenge. This is a challenge, right? We live, in a we live in a very interesting and difficult time. It takes a community of dedicated, trained, intelligent, values-based providers who come together uh, to do this work, to save this profession, and to save the millions of lives. We're still looking at 25 million people in this country who suffer from substance use disorder, and our best statistics are that 10% of them get dedicated care. Right? We've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to do this together, and only together can we do it. So how do we move forward? We move forward with, this, with these values. That has to happen, and we have to continue to convene, and we have to come together and talk to each other. Separate, we, we're not good separate. Um, uh, but we also have to have very specific techniques, and it is time to institute uniform, standardized, 
business practices across the board that the public can rely on that will move our business forward and make us secure. And that's what NAATP has spent much of the last 12 months doing. We've done it in the form of the NAATP Quality Assurance Guidebook. So we're going to talk about it all weekend. But what I really want to talk about is the shift from the John Oliver story to where we're going now. That was the worst. We've got to start talking about the best. We know what the worst of us has done. We need to talk now and show what the best of us can do. And that is what the guidebook is about. That is what the standardized practices are about. And if we do that, we will have success stories. We have to show our success stories, but we have to do this together under rigid, uh, rigid's not the right word, under uniform standards of business practice that we buy into. Right? So we've, demo we, we've released them. We're going to look at them this weekend. We're going to ask you to think about them and, and give us your feedback because these uniform practices need to be written by us, and, and, and you all, we all are us, um, but we've got to do that. And that's how we demonstrate, and that's how we show uh, our, our success stories. So we're shifting from worst practice to best practice. Right? Um, it's, it's a continuation of the NAATP ethics work, um, and there's more happening. The National Association of Model State Drug Laws is drafting uniform business practice standards for the United States as we speak, and NAATP is a partner in that effort. Your, every single one of your states is soon going to be seeing uniform business practice standards proposed by the National Association of Model State Drug Laws, <clears throat> on which we are working aggressively as well. Um, and by doing all of that, by having those standards, by, by adhering to our guidebook, we raise the standard for all of us, and it's about implementing these core competencies. What the Addiction Treatment Provider Guidebook does is identify our core competencies, which we can all agree are necessary in order to make this work uh, possible. What's unique about this is the NAAT approach isn't to isolate a handful of addiction treatment programs who we think are the best and anoint them, right? It's not about a rating system. Thought I'd hear a ooh on that one. Um, it's not about a rating system. It's about raising the floor. Saying raising the floor doesn't sound very exciting. Sounds kind of boring, but it's profoundly important. Um, right? We raise the floor to a standard that is proficient, below which none of us will fall. And then the public can rely on that. So that's our goal. And it's a broad and inclusive goal. So I've got just a couple more things to say, and then they'll start serving. Can we eat, Marv? Yeah, just a second. Um, I mean that I, I truly mean this when I talk about moving forward with unity. Um, if you don't agree with some of the things we're doing, if you see flaws in the book, if you think it's not practical on the ground, um, you have to tell us that because we need to get it right so that we can do it together. But it really is about moving forward with unity on these standardized practices and with integrity. It really does take all of us, and we have to embrace the change. We have to embrace the change. Some of the change is scary. We have to embrace the change, but that doesn't mean we lose our foundation. Right? That's the trick. How do you bring in the new and hang on to that which works? So I want to say this, and I really mean it, and it's already up on the screen, but it's going to be really important as we do this that we, those of us who have been around for a long time that are worried about medicine, do not disparage harm reduction strategies. 
right? We cannot criticize that which saves lives, even if it's not necessarily the big picture that we want to look at. So we need to not disparage these practices, many of which are new, and many of which seem to be solely medication-focused, right? It's not about MAT, medication-assisted treatment. It should be about MOT. Or it, should, it needs to be about MAT, not about MOT, MOT medication-only treatment, right? Nobody's in favor of that. We know that doesn't work. Um, but at the same time, I want to say this because I've started to see it happening. You guys, I heard this the other day to somebody. You guys are abstinence-based? Damn straight, right? Do not apologize for abstinence-based methodology. I've got news for you. The thing that kills you is probably a good thing to stop taking, <laughs> right? Come on. <laughs> So, so, you know, we need to be very clear about that, and we also need to be very clear that it's a biological, psychological, social, and spiritual condition, right? The American, thank you, go ahead, let's do that. <laughs> the American Society of Addiction, our close colleagues at the American Society of Addiction Medicine have a definition of addiction, a substance use disorder that describes the spiritual malady, right? These are the doctors. You know, we started this thing with the doctor's opinion, first chapter in the book. Okay, um, the last thing I want to say is this. Let's keep our eye on the ball. We can never lose uh, a focus of this. Um, treatment is about recovery, and recovery is about transformation. You know it when you see it, right? What we want for our patients is transformation from sick to well, from sick in every one of those facets, biological and spiritual, and uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. So as we go forward and we understand all of the technical uh, pieces to all of this and all of the medication, let's please never lose sight of, of, of the fundamental fact that human beings come to us sick and dying, and if we do our work well and we use all of the components of our skill sets, they transform. They transform and look a lot like this group. Thank you for being here. Um, we're going to have dinner. We're going to get done in time for Game of Thrones, and we're going to uh, honor many of our. We're going to honor our finest tonight with the award ceremony. So thank you. The four recipients this evening have stepped to the front of that parade, and in turn made remarkable contributions in four key areas: quality improvement, volunteer leadership, journalism, and career achievement. The National Association has been at the forefront of moving the field forward, challenging providers to work in a compassionate, ethical manner. The awards presented this evening demonstrate the impact of what individuals can do as far as their contributions to the field, along with the commitment to seeking opportunities to advance access to treatment and improved outcomes of the services that we provide. Our first award is the James W. West MD Quality Improvement Award. This award recognizes new, innovative, and successful addiction treatment advancements, both clinical as well as operational, that serve to improve the quality of treatment and access to care. In my 
prior career, I spent a number of years as a CEO of a hospital, and one of the things that was remarkable as I moved into the field of addiction treatment was the lack of objective outcome data from the services that we provide. The National Association really has taken a leadership in this role, trying to find ways that we can be an advocate in generating that outcome data that helps prove what types of programs and services actually are beneficial. The point person working on that project was Jessica Swan uh, with NAATP, and she will be this evening presenting the award to the Omni Institute, the winner of our Quality Improvement Award. And I'll ask Jessica to come to the podium. Hello, good evening. Thanks, Paul. Um, it's so exciting to be here. Uh, I'm really, really honored to be up here to announce the recipient of this year's um, award for the James W. West MD Quality Improvement. Uh, I worked closely over the last three years with the Omni Institute's research team, uh, particularly Holland and Natalie, um, Katie, uh, over at Omni. They're based in Denver, Colorado, and they're an amazing research institute um, who we worked together on the National Outcomes Pilot Program. If you're not familiar with that, that study concluded uh, just recently and culminates with the Outcomes Toolkit. And to me, the Outcomes Toolkit is what makes this um, award worth giving to Omni. Um, the innovation that, that this award represents um, is shown in the work that Omni did. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about in giving this award out was how back when we started, we didn't know we didn't know all the hurdles that would come in doing a national study of the magnitude uh, that we had uh, done. <laughs> you learn these things as you go along. One of the, the big ones early on was the IRB. Um, trying to get an IRB that has enough uh, staff and a board large enough to do oversight for a national study uh, that hasn't been done like this before was actually a little bit challenging. And we did a really great job, I think, working together to make that happen. And that was Omni uh, and Holland who did that work. Um, along with that uh, was a, the National Institute of Health, who got a, uh, Omni got a certificate of confidentiality through, which ensured the participants an extra layer of confidentiality throughout the entire outcome study. Um, as Paul mentioned, you may not know this, but our field is um, not as stringent about outcomes research, or historically hasn't been. And that's what we believe is so amazing about what happened here, is that we were able to complete this pilot. Uh, Omni was able to create a toolkit that's now available to the entire membership of NAATP to create standards in how measurement for outcomes is completed. Um, and that is a really big deal. Uh, and that is why they are receiving this award tonight, um, in my mind and in my opinion. Um, tonight we have Holland Hirsch, Dr. Holland Hirsch, coming up to receive the award. Um, and it is my honor to provide that to her. Uh, why don't you come on up? Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Jessica. I just have 
just a few words to say. I am so incredibly honored um, to receive this award on behalf of the Omni Institute, to be a part of the National Association and a participant here this week in this conference. For those of you in the room who are not familiar with the Omni Institute, I want to share just a little bit more. We are a nonprofit research and evaluation consultancy with a mission of accelerating positive social change. For over 40 years, Omni's work has spanned the spectrum of social service systems, including education, justice, and public health. And a key focus of our work is in substance use disorder prevention, treatment, and recovery. Through our work at Omni, we are privileged to partner with those of you on the front lines working to tackle the issue of substance use disorder. I really believe that the power in evaluation lies in producing data that are meaningful to those doing the hard work of providing treatment that can drive best practices and innovative approaches and that can be used simply and powerfully to educate the public on the importance and impact of treatment services. We look forward through our time together this week and our future partnerships to continuing to learn from, be inspired by, and support the work that you all do. On that note, I hope to see you tomorrow at the Quality Assurance Session at 3.30, Tuesday at 10.30 for the outcome session. Thank you again to all of you, and especially thank you to the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers for honoring Omni with this award. Our next award is the Jasper G. Chensey Volunteer Leadership Award. The award recognizes individuals who have provided exceptional volunteer leadership in the area of addiction treatment through board membership and philanthropy. This year's award will be presented by Dr. Pat Hall, Executive VP from Valley Hope, and I'll ask Dr. Hall to come forward. Thank you and good evening. It's truly a, a pleasure to be here and to uh, present uh, this award and it's a great professional honor to present this award to uh, Dr. Merlin Collip, a man who truly embodies the spirit of the Jasper Chen C Volunteer Leadership Award. It's also a great uh, personal honor to do this. I've known uh, Dr. Collip for, for 20 years and uh, he was the one who first convinced me to apply to Valley Hope uh, and probably even more impressive, he convinced me to move from Chicago to Norton, Kansas. <laughs> so Dr. Merlin Collip uh, has dedicated his life to Valley Hope and to our mission. As the co-founder of Valley Hope, Valley Hope would not exist today without Dr. Collip's um, vision and dedication to bringing alcohol addiction treatment to rural northwest Kansas in 1967. It was in a bowling alley where Lynn and a pastor, Bob Adams, conceptualized the idea of a treatment center. After, um, after being mutually concerned about community members uh, in, the, in the town struggling with alcoholism, and they were, felt ill-equipped to be able to help them. 
Dr. Kolb created the earliest detox protocols for Valley Hope. He was also instrumental in developing the Valley Hope Way, which is based on providing cutting-edge clinical care in an environment marked by love, compassion, faith, and hope. This was a groundbreaking idea in the 1960s, and Lynn faced many obstacles from that point forward. Lynn would say that the Valley Hope Way was ultimately based on hope, Today, that hope represents a nationally recognized alcohol and drug treatment organization with 16 facilities in seven states, having helped more than 300,000 individuals suffering from addiction. As a 51-year Valley Hope Board of Directors member, Lynn is a leader in the efforts to raise money, support, and awareness for our organization and for all those who struggle with addiction. He is also a charter member of the 1967 Circle, Valley Hope's uh, planned giving society. Of particular relevance, Dr. Collip was an early supporter of NATAP, encouraging then C Valley Hope CEO Dr. William Leipold to be a part of this new organization. Lynn continued to encourage Valley Hope leadership to be active in NATAP, so much so that former Valley Hope CEOs Dr. Ken Gregoire and Dennis Gilhausen both served as chairman of the of NATAB Board of Directors. Most importantly, Dr. Collip has brought an unmatched level of dedication, of service, and integrity to our organization and to the whole SUD field. I know of no one more deserving to receive this prestigious award. Unfortunately, for health reasons, Dr. Collip is unable to attend tonight. However, it is a special treat that two of his granddaughters, Grace and Annie, are here to see their grandfather recognized in this special way. And it is also fortunate that we have his son, Dr. Michael Collip, here to receive the award, the award on his behalf. So it is truly my privilege to present the Jasper Chen CMD Volunteer Leadership Award to Dr. Collip's son on his father's behalf, Dr. Michael Collip. Thank you, Patrick. All right, so I'm, award, I'm definitely honored to accept this award on behalf of my father, Dr. Malen Collip, um, accompanied, of course, by uh, two of Lynn Collip's granddaughters, to let you guys stand, my niece, Annie Chestnut, <clears throat> and my daughter, Grace Collip. Thank you. All right, thinking of how I would describe my father, I think of words and phrases like devotion, ethical, true perseverance, unusual determination, a true man of faith, and care for those in their greatest need. 1967, he and Pastor Bob Adams, through this determination, perseverance, and devotion to the care and the love of others, planted the seeds that became Valley Hope. Now let me allow me to read some notes written by my father. Thank you for the NAATP 2019 Jasper B. Chen C. MD Volunteer Leadership Award. I accept this award on behalf of the multitude of volunteers who work daily to bring light and hope to the individuals and families caught in the dark web of alcohol and drug addiction. I also want to recognize and thank my wife, Joanne, my mother, of course, 
of over 60 years. She has helped in many, many ways through the 50 plus years of our involvement with the Valley Hope Drug and Alcohol Treatment Program. Hope is a key factor in recovery. Hope building is something each and every one of us can do to help patients get to treatment and to sustain recovery. Billy Graham wrote these words of truth. When hope dies, despair will overwhelm us. Hope is both biologically and psychologically vital to us. Men and women must have hope, and true hope comes only from Christ. In my father's words, I pray God's blessings on all of our efforts to help those who desperately need hope and recovery. Let us all be diligent in showing our appreciation to the dedicated hope builders, hope building volunteers who work with the various programs represented here in AATP. Again, thank you. Our next award is the Michael Q. Ford Journalism Award, recognizing high standards of journalistic excellence in the awareness, research, writing, and presentation of addiction news that demonstrates the value of and need for addiction treatment. This year's award goes to Barry Meyer. Mr. Meyer is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist uh, formerly with the New York Times, and also the author of Painkiller, Empire of Deceit, and the Origin of America's Opioid Epidemic. In the book, he traces back the story of how Purdue Pharma in 1996, 23 years ago, gained FDA approval for a high-potency, time-released pain medication, OxyContin. The, ge the general information provided by the manufacturer stated that the tablets are to be taken whole. Taken broken, chewed, or crushed tablets could lead to the rapid release and absorption of a potentially toxic dose of oxycodone. Well, of course, the street figured this out pretty quickly, about the same time that pharmaceutical representatives were convincing the medical community that the probability of addiction with this new formulation was very low, in fact, claiming that it actually reduced the potential for addiction compared to other pain medications. This, of course, coincided with hospitals and healthcare providers, and again, I was right in the middle of this as a hospital administrator, showing people the smiley faces to get, gauge their pain, where we, uh, based on accreditation guidelines, made pain management a fifth vital sign. At the time, we thought this was evidence-based, compassionate care. Um, but a perceptive journalist and author saw a different picture, a pharmaceutical company that recognized the extraordinary profit potential in this new formulation. Barry Meyer has written extensively about the history of Purdue Pharma and its principal owners, the Sackler family, in numerous articles published in the New York Times, exposing the drive for profit that eventually led thousands down the path of opioid addiction and ultimately to the variable strength and lethal opioid derivatives available on the street. The amazing thing is that he wrote about this travesty in a book published in 2003, 16 years ago. 
I think it's fair to say that most of us didn't recognize the problem at that early stage. And now we're playing catch up, trying to get the genie back in the bottle, uh, trying to seek ways that we can recover some of those profits to help with treatment and um, treatment and prevention. But clearly um, the problem was recognized early on and he continues to be a voice to try and reverse what is a problem that we deal with on an ongoing basis. It's indeed my pleasure tonight to uh, present this award to Barry Meyer, the Michael Q. Ford Journalistic Achievement Award. Unfortunately, he's somewhere in South America with his daughter, so he couldn't make it to the meeting tonight. So I will accept the award on his behalf. And now our final award, and I have to point out, Becky Flood didn't nominate any of the awardees this year. So she got shut out after last year. But the final award is the Nelson J. Bradley Career Achievement Award, which recognizes career achievement of individuals who have made significant contributions to modern addiction treatment. Dr. Bradley, as many of you recall, was the superintendent of Wilmar State Hospital in Minnesota. His pioneering activities in the 50s and 60s and his collaboration with the nearby Hazelden Foundation resulted in a multidisciplinary approach to treating people with alcoholism and recognition of alcoholism as a treatable disease. The approach, which included many enduring innovations, became known as the Minnesota model, which helped transform addiction treatment and expand access to care around the world. While treatment has continued to evolve since then, core tenets of the Minnesota model remain at the foundation of the field. And the social reform movement it launched to humanize the treatment of people addicted to alcohol and drugs is one that we all continue to advance today. It's my great pleasure this evening, and in so many ways fitting, that we give the 2019 Nelson J. Bradley Career Achievement Award posthumously to former First Lady Betty Ford. Not only did Mrs. Ford embrace the contemporary version of the Minnesota model when she co-founded the Betty Ford Center in 1982, following multiple visits to Hazleton, but her advocacy instantly and exponentially expanded the visibility of the work that we all do and the people that we serve. Mrs. Ford's openness regarding her own recovery from opioid and alcohol use disorders brought widespread attention to the problem of addiction and the promise of treatment and recovery. Her courage and candor and unique public profile made a powerful contribution to removing the stigma of the disease. Advancing the social reform movement that Dr. Bradley helped launch years earlier. Under her leadership, the Betty Ford Center also introduced many innovations of its own, such as a robust focus on family services, including a children's program for young kids affected by addiction in the family, a unique professional and medical education program, including a summer institute for medical students and reciprocal programs for other countries and tribal nations, expansion in the continuing care services, including phone-based call check-ins, 
and new specialty programs for populations like healthcare professionals and people with co-occurring chronic pain. Mrs. Ford's leadership and legacy continue to influence addiction treatment and recovery today through the nonprofit Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation, the re results of a seemingly predestined 2014 merger between Betty Ford and Hazelton, which now includes 17 sites nationwide with extensive education, pre prevention, research, advocacy, and publishing functions. To accept the award this evening, we're honored to have on Mrs. Ford's behalf, her daughter, Susan Ford Bales, who also serves on the Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation Board of Trustees. And I will ask uh, Susan to come forward, or forward and accept the award for her mother. Thank you all very much. It's a, a real pleasure to be here. So on behalf of Mother, thank you for this extraordinary honor. She, as am I, am bursting with great pride tonight and gratitude to each and every one of you. Mother transformed the role of First Lady, but her legacy is deeper than her time as First Lady. Mom's commitment to recovery continues now almost four decades. By the tens of thousands of patients, families, and children who have been treated. And it is that part of her legacy about which she was the proudest. And it is that part of her legacy that you have so kindly honored her tonight. Thank you all very much. So tonight we remember and recognize Mrs. Ford's lifelong candor and commitment to others, the significant contribution she made to the mission and purpose that drives all of us in this room. Congratulations, Susan. Your mother is truly deserving of this award. We're honored to recognize the Ford family, the National Association, and so many others owe you, your mother, and your family a great deal of gratitude. And from all of us, we appreciate it. And with that, we are going to wind down our event for the evening. Marvin must have a few additional words to say here. You can tell how well that was planned. Good job. Uh, congratulations to all of the award recipients. Please stick around. Please come forward, especially the kids. Um, uh, and and uh, stay with us after the ceremony for a few minutes for, for photographs. Um, we'll let the rest of you go, uh, and we'll see you tomorrow morning when we begin our sessions in earnest. A reminder that um, you can head to the cabinet room for Game of Thrones, but in what might even be a greater spiritual experience, the 12-step uh, meeting begins at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning and on Tuesday morning in the Congressional Room. And isn't that right, Bobby? Congressional Room. Follow Bobby Ferguson at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Congratulations, folks. Take care. We're off and running. Have a good night. <laughs>